Greetings, everyone. Welcome back to Lessons from Leaders. This podcast is hosted by Humentum and Lynn Gilliland Consulting, and I am Lynn Gilliland. In this episode, which is part one of, part, of two parts, we're with Osama Mizwi, who's the president and CEO of Penny Appeal USA. Uh, quite a fun episode and a great time with Osama. And some of the things we talked about was how the pandemic allowed a moment to reflect and test values, the importance of questioning our assumptions and growing your leadership skills. So let's get to it. Well, greetings, everyone. We are here with Osama, who I am so happy to have him on. I'm so happy to have you on, Osama. And um, we, you and I have been talking getting ready for this. And I can't wait for you people to hear some of the things you and I've been chatting about. So welcome. Thank you for having me, Lynn. It's a pleasure. And to start with, because you have kind of a um, unusual background for the work that you're currently doing, would you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, of course. So first and foremost, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be on here with you. Um, I think like most people who end up in leadership, I think it's, it's, there's no one way of, of ending up in leadership. It's definitely not something that I uh, pursued. Um, I have an undergraduate degree in, in, in history. That was my bachelor's, uh, thinking that that would be something I would you know, go into journalism or something like that. Uh, I graduated in 2008, which was, you know, then the Great Recession. Uh, ended up going to law school uh, and, and finding out very quickly that, you know, that wasn't really something I was particularly passionate about. And through fate, uh, I, you know, met the person who became a mentor of mine and, and he was a CEO of a large uh, INGO doing humanitarian work. Uh, took me under his wing, and, and that was about 12 years ago, and, and, and the rest is history, really. Uh, and so, a bit of research, operational work, program management, uh, and ended up here as a CEO at Penny Appeal. That, and thank you for sharing that. That's what I wanted people to hear, that, the, that you can get here, but from over there, instead of people think it needs to be a straight shot. So, thank you for that. And... How have you guys been doing? How has Penny USA been doing and you yourself been doing through this last, over these last many months? I'm good. I'm, um, I mean, it's been a heck of a journey for everyone, right? So we're, what we thought would be a couple of weeks and then a few months has now, you know, been a year and, and, and really only God knows how long this is going to continue. Um, what's been interesting is that I think everyone's hit their wall at different times. Mm. And for me, I think the first six months, eight months, I, were okay. I felt really, you know, working at home was fine. I felt motivated, energized. You know, speaking honestly, I think the last couple of months have been my struggle uh, in terms of, you know, sometimes motivation or uh, I'm someone who gets my energy from, from people. I'm very much an extrovert and I enjoy interaction, seeing colleagues, seeing friends and a lot of motivation and energy comes from that. And so it's interesting. I know some people struggled at the beginning to adapt for me, the beginning wasn't really the issue. Uh, it was the last few months as, as the months now are going into a year. And, uh, uh, but we're okay. The organization is, is, is really doing very well. We were blessed to be in a good position to be able to transfer to remote work. Um, we were essentially doing everything in the cloud anyway, pre-COVID, luckily. So everything from you know, payroll and check issuing payments and, and operational HR and you name it, everything was, was, was using cloud software. So luckily we just took our laptops home and, and there wasn't a massive operational challenge of closing down 
the office. Uh, luckily, that was quite easy. Uh, the challenge is figuring out how to make sure we're all motivated, we're all still communicating, how to be there for each other, of course. Everyone has very particular family circumstances at home, whether it's having children, having elderly parents, etc. So we're trying to figure it out, and, and I think it's a great leveler. We as leaders can't pretend that we've been through a pandemic before. There's, you know, there's no toolkit that we can Google and, and how to survive a pandemic and how to lead through a pandemic. But on the whole, I think we've done pretty well. And, and luckily, the organization had a good, strong financial year last year. So um, because of COVID, actually, we just had to adapt. And we introduced a number of COVID programs, uh, in particular cash uh, cash assistance program that luckily did very well. And so we're okay. <laughs> we're okay. And what did you learn from from leading through that? Like what are some of the takeaways that you that you didn't know beforehand? I think there's learning first and foremost as a human being, right? Yeah. I think as leaders we are first and foremost normal human beings. And I think it was very humbling. Uh, those of us who, especially who have very busy lives, constantly planning, full schedules. Uh, I think for me, it was a moment of reflection. And I think for most people, right, to step back and say, actually, I'm not in charge. Um, you know, I can plan to the best of my ability, but there are things that are bigger than all of us. Uh, and, and I think it was a real moment of reflection in terms of what's important to us as individuals, what's important to us as an organization, you know, we talk about values usually as leaders or as organizations. It's something that we talk about regularly as values. And I think COVID was an opportunity to really uh, test those values and question what values we hold dear, whether it's, you know, being people centric, whether it's being people first family, uh, you know, whatever it may be in your respective field or in your individual families. Um, on a personal note, I think it's a real moment of reflection, a uh, very humbling moment. Um, and I'm a big believer in humility. I think it, it was, we, we need humility as people, as leaders, as organizations. Um, we have to be humble. And we, like I said, can't pretend as leaders that we've done this before. So it was a leverage in the sense that we were trying to figure it out together. I, I didn't have all the answers. And so I think there was something beautiful in, in trying to survive together and trying to cope and adapt together with colleagues and say, okay, how are we going to do this? What works best for you? What, what's best for the organization? And really coming to decisions collectively. And there's no end point. So it wasn't a question of, you know, three months or six months. We, it's a constant progress, a uh, constant process, I mean. And um, we're constantly learning and adapting together um, because I don't have all the answers and, and the leadership team doesn't have all the answers. Uh, and it's brought us together. I think it's definitely brought us together. And so uh, I think we're a lot closer as a team now than we were, uh, despite not seeing each other and uh, you know, the challenges of being remote. I didn't, until right this minute, I didn't have understand that by the leader not knowing, having gone through this before, couldn't draw any past experience, which is usually people assume the leaders can do that. That you, that you can't be the expert. You can't be the, I got this, I know this. You, it, that's the equalizer, the leveler that you're talking about. Um, and that is a gift from COVID that I had not understood until right now. And I think, Lynn, that applies to many aspects of our work. You, know, yeah. we've, you and I have discussed in the past about the fact that 
you know, this concept of leadership where you, you, you should know everything or you have to know everything. It's not one that I particularly believe in. You know, I think we're in certain positions of leadership because we have certain experiences or certain abilities. It's not because we know everything, you know, far from it. And so it's very obvious in the COVID situation, but I think it could also be applied in everyday business as usual work that we don't know everything. And I think we shouldn't be expected to know everything. And I think staff don't expect you to know everything. And it's okay to admit that this is X or Y is a new experience for me. It's I've never dealt with this situation before, or I've never thought of this thing before. Uh, I've always believed in it, but I think COVID is just a very tangible example of it. And it's kind of stripped, stripped away everything. You know, you, we might have believed it intellectually, but then here it is. We actually don't, we mm. don't have any experience. We can't say how, how this has been done well or how we did it really good the last time. So I'll tell you a funny, funny story, Lynn. I was at a CEO's conference not too long ago of pre-COVID and I'm a relatively young new CEO. And I, I stood up and I asked the question, which I'm sure everyone thinks about the idea of imposter syndrome. Oh, you know, am I qualified to be a CEO? Why, why me? Why at this age, etc.? And, you know, very, very surprised to hear from two or three very seasoned CEOs who basically, I quote, said, you know, the famous fake it till you make it line. Right. And I think there's massive truth in that. It's not faking it. It's figuring it out on the job, right? We're constantly, as we say, flying the plane while you're fixing it, which is natural to leadership and, and, and being confident and pretending that you're on top of things. I think with COVID, there is no fake it till you make it, you know. <laughs> uh, it really is, I, I think, uh, a leveler in that sense. And what I what I love about what you're saying is the fake it till you make it is I'm here by myself faking it. And all of you maybe don't know that I am or maybe you do. But what you were talking about was you say to your team, we don't, let's figure this out together because I don't know any more than you know. That's a different that's a different perspective. That's a different presentation, for lack of a better word, which is what the one I'm really liking. And yeah. the other final thing on COVID, I think, is, is, is from my perspective, that's been fantastic, is it's, for, I think, for leadership, it's made us question our assumptions, right? Mm. So there's always conversations pre-COVID around the nature of work. We're a very young team in terms of, you know, the average age when we launched five years ago were, were people in their young in the early 20s and mid 20s. Um, that's changed now, but we still have a very young team. And uh, we were constantly having conversations about the nature of work, flexibility, where to work, how to work. Um, and there were many things that I think we wanted to try, mm -hmm. uh, but I had reservations as a leader you know, about you know, flexibility of working hours or remote work or you know, being two things that everyone's talking about now. COVID forced us to make these decisions, which has been from that perspective, fantastic, because I think lots of leaders come into their work with certain assumptions about how things should be. And, and for me, it's always been a question of how do we focus on the outcome? How do we focus on the results? Mm -hmm. But I still was very resistant at times to being too flexible or too progressive. Um, and so I think COVID has forced many of us to actually relook and rethink about assumptions that we had or held around work and, and, and what works and what doesn't work. And for me, a re-emphasis on results and outcomes and outputs, and not necessarily on how you work or where you work or hours or what you wear to work, uh, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Was that hard for you to make that shift, you yourself? Was focusing on results and outcomes? 
Um, not hard. I think I sit in the middle of that. If there was a spectrum, I think I would sit in the middle. So, you know, I always knew deep down that we needed flexibility, that the world had changed, that we have a fantastic team of, of, of millennials, uh, for the most part, who I trust and, and who work in a different way to, to many, uh, to different generation of people before them. But I still had some reservations. It was still, well, I like everybody in at a certain time and I like, you know, people in the office and I like people to dress a certain way when they come into the office. Uh, and so there was a bit of uh, uncertainty, let's say. Uh, and, and so, yeah, it, it wasn't too difficult, but there, it was challenging. And then I had to really think about my assumptions and, and my, uh, if you like, uh, yeah, pre previous conclusions or previous thoughts around, you know, the type of, of, of the nature of work. You and I had talked about um that leadership is a skill in it in itself. I think that's the way you phrased it. That that you can't take it for granted. And as you're talking now, I'm I'm remi reminded of that because you had to do that self reflection or self analysis and see what you needed. You might need to let go of. Uh, would you talk a little bit about your thoughts on leadership as a skill in in and of itself? Yeah, um, I think this is something I've thought about a lot personally because, you know, being vulnerable here, I am, I'm a generalist. I would describe myself as, as someone who is a generalist, meaning in the 12 years that I've been in the nonprofit sector, I've uh, spent a few years in different departments. So I did a little bit of research. I did a lot of op some operations work, did a few years in programs. I did not stick long enough in any one department or one area to self-identify as a specialist. And so I picked up lots of different skills. I got a very broad understanding of how organizations work and run. Um, and then found myself in, 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 in this situation or, or uh, with the possibility to become the CEO and, and founder of Pennypill USA. So I'm a generalist. And uh, I think in my early years, I think that bothered me if I'm honest. And I think there was a concern that, oh, do specialists have something that, that I don't have or the generalists don't have? Mm -hmm. But I think the last two or three years, I've, I've become very comfortable with being a generalist um, and understanding, as you said, that actually leadership is a skill in itself that can be learned. You know, I think many, many years ago, we used to think that leadership was you had it or you didn't, you know, you're bored with it. And we know from management uh, scholars that that's just not true, that some of it is nature, but much of it is nurture as well. And the truth is somewhere in the middle. It's something you can learn and, and, and improve. And, and so, and I don't want to generalize here, but my experience at times has been that often we, in the nonprofit world and in the philanthropy space, we hire specialists who are subject matter experts, no doubt whether it be civil rights, you know, human rights, gender studies, you name it, civil society, democracy, uh, or even technical knowledge in, in, in the humanitarian space, they have fantastic technical knowledge and expertise. They often, my experience has been, they, they are lacking leadership skills. What does that mean? How do you run a department? You know, how do you motivate the team? How do you put together a work plan? How do you deal with the inevitable HR problems that emerge, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's this emotional intelligence that I think leadership requires a ton, a ton of emotional intelligence. And, and it requires diplomacy and it requires very good, strong organizational skills and, and, and many other things, which I think generalists or good generalists are able to offer. And I think sometimes, and again, I don't want to generalize, is, is missing with specialists. So 
I'm more comfortable now wearing a generalist hat. I think leadership is a skill in itself, and it's something that I'm constantly trying to adapt and to learn and to grow uh, and to study. Um, but yes, I think it's an important skill that has to be learnt, and, and uh, time has to be invested in it. And for well, thank you for that because well, probably because of the work that I do, I align with you and what I see in the world and. I think that you have to be intentional about it. It's like um, I've been watching the last dance about Michael Jordan and the Bulls, uh, the basketball team. And he, this this basketball player didn't get to be so good just springing out of nowhere. He became good because he worked and worked and worked at it. And leadership is the same. You do not become an excellent um, um, a leader who can lead your organization to achieve the mission vision that you are setting for yourselves without intentionality and discipline and feedback. How am I doing? Where am I missing the mark? Um, so I wanted to underscore that because I, uh, I, I fear that many don't invest the time and um, heart that is needed. It's hard. It's scary. Also, it's scary. It's hard, uh, but I think it really is so vital. I mean, we've all worked in dysfunctional organizations, right? All of us in our careers, at one time or another, have worked in, in a dysfunctional organization or company, and it's often the small things. It's it's having a, a HR department that doesn't work. You know, it's 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 having miscommunication, a really poor communication, not having any you know strategic plans or direction, and small things that can easily be tweaked can make such a big difference and so yes i agree with everything you've said uh, and it's 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 a difference between success and failure really the ability to lead uh, and, and to lead well i just think you know lots of expertise can be sometimes purchased in or brought in you know mm. um, you you know you need a technical expert you need someone who's a thought leader a subject a leader in a subject you can you can bring that in and of course they are very they're invaluable to, to the work that we do but when it comes to leadership, that's not something that you could consult, you know, buy in briefly. I think, you know, you have to have very strong leadership in any company, business, organization. And uh, that means investing in it. Absolutely. I'm going to um, throw you a curveball. You, you said that you hoped I wouldn't. Do you ask for feedback? I do. Um, now, do I ask for feedback enough? I mean, um, Maybe not. Uh, it's something that I'm conscious of. Uh, it's interesting because we're tech. I mean, we're technically a startup nonprofit, so we we're just entering our fifth year. We're about four and a half years old, and so thank you. So um, we're not an established organization that's 15 years old that has hundreds of millions of dollars to do 360 feedback uh, to bring in consultants to do 360 feedback uh, uh, reviews. Uh, it's something we've discussed actually as part of our plan for the fifth year that we do bring in somebody to conduct a 360 review of the organization, getting everyone's feedback, all staff members at all levels. Um, now I do ask for feedback informally, absolutely all the time in, in every meeting, you know, whether we're, it's a strategic meeting, it's a campaign meeting, it's a planning meeting. Um, we do performance appraisals, performance reviews with our staff twice a year. So those who I manage, I do ask them to give me feedback as part of that process. Um, of course, the board review my performance every year um, as a CEO. 
but it's something we have to institutionalize. And, and I think, uh, I love that word because I think so much of what we do needs to be institutionalized because it's, it shouldn't be dependent on the leader. It shouldn't be the if your culture is something that I, I'm fascinated by organizational culture right. and an organizational culture shouldn't be just what Osama thinks. It should be if and when Osama leaves, does that feedback culture continue? And the only way you do that is through institutionalizing the mechanisms, the processes uh, for forth feedback. So uh, I do ask for feedback at the moment. It's mostly informal. It's in meetings, in conversations. Uh, we are working to see how we can institutionalize it. Thank you. And with that, I'm going to leave this as a cliffhanger because this is part one and part two, we're going to get more into culture and other things with Osama. So come back for part two. 